welcome back to another episode of the Politic Pod podcast with me, Ben, and your co-host, Nasif. Today's episode is the first of three in which we will discuss some big topics in shorter episodes as I am currently uh, out of the country when this episode will go up. And today's episode is all about electoral reform, whether we should change the way that we vote in this country for our members of parliament. As ever, remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on all of our platforms and look and listen to all of our past and future episodes. So our present system is known as first past the post, as many of you are aware, and we've used it for donkey's years um, and essentially the way it works, I think we're all familiar with it. There's different smaller constituencies and whoever gets the most votes, whether they get 20% of the votes or they get 70% of the votes, they will be the member of parliament. So it's principally in use in the UK. I've got a quiz for you, Nassif. Can you name one other country other than in the UK where they use first past the post as their voting system? Um, if I'm not incorrect, I believe, I believe India might do the same. I might be incorrect on that, but uh, um, India uses the same system um, because they also inherited the Westminster style of governance. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that's the case. Uh, yes, that is correct. India is definitely one of them and the world's largest democracy at that. So let's get on with the episode. Some, uh, we've used it for years but it has many advantages and problems. So advantages, it provides a stable government, often a majority government, um, with some exceptions, and it's very simple to use and it gives local representation. However, it has many problems uh, that many people have cited. Oh, my phone is ringing at the moment. Um, but many feel that it's not fair and representative. For example, in a 2015 election, UKIP got 0.2% of the seats, yet 12.5% of the votes. There's a huge disparity. Uh, and there are some quite shocking examples. For example, in 2017, Theresa May got about a percentage less than Tony Blair did in 1997. Of course, Tony Blair won a massive landslide and Theresa May struggled and, you know, it became a hung parliament. And it happens to um, primarily well, all parties, but primarily the smaller third parties, with not including Labour or the Conservatives. Uh, the Lib Dems have been pushing it for years. It's really heavily um, affected them in a bad way. So what are some other ways we could do it? But first, before we go into that, what do you think about first past the post and the thief? That's a very good um, question. I, um, I don't think of it as a perfect system. I do agree. I think um, to a large degree, um, there's a certain aspect of fairness that's lost in the system. Um, you know, as you explained there, um, UKIP had 12% of the national vote, but only about only less than a percentage of um, the actual of, of winning any particular seats. And I think this has been an issue. This is really the, the forefront of the argument for other systems that first past the post isn't fair. It isn't exactly representative. Um, and and um, the seats that we see in Parliament don't actually, um, aren't particularly in line with the um, lines of voting that we find across the country. 
Um, however, whilst, of course, it's not a perfect system, I would personally, I would argue, I think really it is the best system. I think compared to other systems, such as proportional representation, that's, that's usually um, a popular alternative. Um, I think first past the post does result in more majority governments, far more often, and generally encourages um, constituencies as well, and, and allows um, MPs to be chosen not only for the national parliament, but also allows them to get involved in local politics, which I think is, um, I, I think is, a, is, is a good balancing factor that sort of balances out the fact that, purport, that um, first past the post isn't necessarily as fair. Um, personally, I prefer the first past the post system, but uh, understandably, there are many people across the country who, who would rather have it changed. Yeah, and while the majority of the country really shares your view, to be honest, at least when compared with AV, the alternative vote, in which you rank uh, the different parties and the candidates from first to fifth, or however many there are. Um, and that was, I say that because there's, there's a referendum about it back in 2011. Uh, that was one of the big agreements of the coalition government. Uh, so David Cameron led the first pass the vote uh, campaign and Nick Clegg, the deputy prime minister at the time, led the alternative vote campaign. Uh, and, you know, first past the post absolutely thumped the AV vote. I think it's about 71 to 29%. So a huge margin. Uh, many sided AV is being too complicated. It could, uh, you know, the third place candidate could win it, which many felt wasn't fair. It's not what people want. It's too much of a compromise. Uh, and also, but then again, with people that are more supportive of electoral reform, they felt as though that phone change wasn't the best form of PR. And there's plenty of other ones we could have a look at. Uh, but one that's probably the most interesting, I'd probably say is the fairest, is the system they use in both New Zealand and Germany. So I'm going to break it down. So in Germany, half the seats are, so there's 598 seats in the Reichstag normally, 299 of them are elected in within constituencies so you get that local representation much like we do in this country and then they also get another vote to vote for whichever party they want so it could be the cdu the sdp the greens fdp and any of the german parties and whatever percentage the party gets that's the number of seats they get and you might think well what if they get they already have more seats than their percentage. Then they have what's called overhang seats in which they add a number until, you know, if, uh, so the way it essentially works out is that if a party gets 20% of the votes, it'll get 20% of the seats. And you also include that local representation. I know this is a bit complicated, but um, there may be easier ways to explain it online, but many have said it's a fair system. What they do do in Germany is have a threshold of 5% to get into parliament to begin with. Uh, otherwise, you'd have very more small, minor, and often extreme parties, of course. Uh, the phone system in Germany really enabled the Nazi party to rise to power. Of course, it's slightly changed now. But do you believe there should be a threshold? Because in this country, it could lead to sin parties missing out that many people believe in its a fairer system. Then again, it could lead to the monster even Looney party having seats in the House Commons, which would be a very real possibility if they use that method without a threshold. 
It's a very interesting question. Um, first and foremost, I've um, personally, I've, I've studied German for quite a long time, but uh, we, we, we never really put much focus into um, the German parliament system, which we're going to as, as, um, as I return to school and um, I'm going to begin my German studies. I, I look forward to studying about the German parliament and German politics and how it all works. And I think it's a very interesting system you've described there. It's one I'm, um, it, it's one I'm, I've never really heard of before, but I have to say, um, sounds relatively promising actually. The 5% threshold. Now, this is a difficult one, admittedly, um, because on the one hand, the, the point of having a system like that, that is sort of trying to be fairer than first past the post is to represent the popular vote um, fairly and, and to ensure that, you know, quote unquote, everybody's voices are heard. Um, however, you might be right in saying that there should be a 5% threshold because um, there could very well be an issue where we have a particular party or a particular group of politicians who win a tiny percentage, but that percentage is so small that it cannot win into parliament or it must be overrepresented by giving um, that particular party one or two seats. Um, but the issue with that, especially here in Britain, we have many small parties, uh, not just in Westminster, but in other um, uh, in, in, in other parts of the country, such as uh, the Scottish Parliament, Welsh Assembly, and and the um, the General Assembly in Northern Ireland. We have loads of small parties who would probably not make it into Parliament um, on occasion on some elections. Um, if they were not to meet the threshold. And so we say, okay, well, if they can't get in, what fills in the gap? Um, so admittedly, I think a 5% threshold is too much, but I think, I think some threshold might be necessary, perhaps um, maybe a 2.5% threshold. I think that would be pretty reasonable. Uh, yeah, that, I completely agree with you on that point. And one big problem that many people within the UK especially would have with a more proportional representation sort of system uh, is that it would nearly always lead to a coalition government being formed. I believe there's only one time post-war, I believe that was 1945 in Clement Attlee's uh, famous victory, where the leading majority, uh, where the majority party won a majority of the popular vote, they got over 50% of the votes. That doesn't normally happen. Uh, look at the most recent election. I think the Conservatives got 45%, which is actually like, still fairly high, to be honest, higher than normal. Uh, but they won a massive majority. So there is a big disparity. But it does ensure most of the time, with some exceptions, that a hung parliament is avoided. And, you know, if we did have this as the, these types of systems in this country, coalitions would have to become more prevalent. I feel as though the 2010 Lib Dem Conservative Coalition, that was a huge historic moment because it's, it was almost, you know, never been done before since World War II. Uh, you know, when Nick Clegg and David Cameron uh, done it when they were born, there was, there'd be no coalition within their lives. And I don't believe that was the most popular with the country, I'd say the coalition government wasn't the most, like many people thought so it was too fractious, not united enough, but people would have to get more used to it. And it would 
open the door for more like close closer like partisan relationships bipartisan uh, between different parties for example it could lead to a conservative labor coalition government which on one hand uh, i'd imagine many in those parties would just despise it they would see it as you know a, a betrayal of everything in their past and what they've stood for but then on the other hand you know it could lead to a close relationship a more united britain and a un- more united politics but ultimately i think the country would be keener to avoid coalition governments where it can but also many people feel with first past the post there is a problem where there are too many safe seats and other forms like av there would still be safe seats for example i live in a safe seat majority of seats are them uh, where your vote to be honest doesn't matter for example there are many conservative safe seats in this country as there are labor lib dem and smp if for example i'm in a conservative safe seat and i believe labor should be in the gov uh, should be my member of parliament i you know my vote is really futile unless there's some you know big electoral shift like there was in the red wall a few years back now um but yeah I, 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 that's another debate do you think that safe seats are a problem in this country or do you think it's just natural um i think well they're certainly natural um because they they seem to happen quite a lot i think there there's a point at which um we have to accept however that safe seats are not so safe there have been many instances in the past where a particular politician of a particular um constituency assumed that their seat were so safe they needn't even spend all too much campaigning but resultantly that mp ended up losing the seat so i think safe seats are natural but i have to admit they they are somewhat of a problem because to me safe seats aren't just something political they're quite psychological this idea because it's a psychological construct this idea that a seat is safe then goes on the other way round to somewhat convince the people of that constituency that if they vote against the ruling party of that constituency their vote won't matter which in turn means that many people who in a safe seat wish to vote against the ruling party won't have the motivation to go vote because they think their vote won't count and resultantly the safe seat becomes even safer and this is the this is the problem i have with even the term safe seat i i you know i i really dislike it because i think it's it's a term that um demoralizes people um from voting i think if one were to live in a safe seat and one were not comfortable with the ruling party of that particular seat um you know how would you fight back and most people when they know that they live in a safe seat that is most people who wish to oppose the ruling party as i said will probably avoid voting because they assume that their vote won't matter anyways but in reality they should go vote and in reality if 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 you want to vote against the ruling party of a safe seat go vote um and I, and i think the idea of a safe seat is one that makes me very uncomfortable because as i said it's a psychological construct that um demoralizes people from you know allowing their voices to be heard um and i think quite frankly we can easily prove that safe seats are not so safe we can easily tell people 
oh, hey, your vote does count. You can oppose your party. Sometimes you might not be so fortunate. Sometimes you will be. I mean, I very well remember back in the um, 2019 election, it was, it was a very successful victory for Boris Johnson and his conservatives, where even constituencies like, um, I believe, Blythe, you know, Labour constituencies for a very, very unimaginably long time switched over to Conservative. So no seat is ever safe unless we believe it is. That's what I think. Hmm. You make some good points. It is a psychological thing. At the end of the day, there is nothing enshrined in law to say it's a safe seat or it will always be. For example, the 997 a Labour victory, I'd imagine lots of the seats they won were Tory safe seats, uh, and they managed to take them over and turn them red. Now, this is uh, just the end of the episode. I wanted to talk a little bit about tactical voting, uh, which we kind of uh, we skipped over until about first past the post. Uh, but that's something that's been on the rise recently. Uh, do you understand what tactical voting is? I'm afraid. Now, I've heard about um, tactical voting, but I'm afraid you might have to reintroduce me. Yeah, it was uh, it was something that I thought I knew, but then I realised, oh, I don't actually know it. So it's when people vote for another party uh, that they don't necessarily want, but they're okay with sort of a lesser of two evils uh, because they have a better chance of being the current incumbent. So hypothetically, let's say, I think this happened recently in one of the by-elections, Let's say that it's a conservative safe seat and the Lib Dems often finish second and Labour finish third. The Labour voters might decide to vote for or go to Lib Dem, the Lib Dems to try and make them be the Conservatives because they'd rather the Lib Dems than the Conservatives, even if it's not themselves. What are your general thoughts on that? Just to close off the episode. Um, that's, that's a very interesting way to vote. I think... I mean, I, I couldn't imagine what the consequences of, 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 of that type of voting would be. I think it's um, tactical voting, goodness. It, admittedly, um, just, just from hearing about it now, that it sounds a bit strange, weirdly, voting for the party that you don't necessarily want, but that you would be okay with. I mean, there's a great number of measures you have to put into that. I mean, what do you define as okay um is it going to be the party that's you know somewhat second place so to speak um for you if if you couldn't vote for the party you um preferred primarily uh, i mean i can't argue against it um because i can't think off the top of my head um as to what could necessarily be wrong with it but it i don't know there's just something about it that doesn't that, that feels a bit strange admittedly Mm. Uh, I mean, it's a big topic of debate in recent times, and it? it is one of the flaws of the first pass of post system. It has many, many merits, but then it has a lot of flaws at the same time. Uh, and it's an eternal debate that will rage on for decades to come. Whether any of it will happen, I don't know, uh, because you know the two prime parties in this country, Conservatives and Labour, are a lot more keen to stick with the current system because it favours their parties a lot more than it does the Lib Dems. Uh, the Green Party or any of the smaller parties for that matter. And just to end this episode, I want to remind everyone to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow all of our platforms and listen to the rest of our episodes. And we're going to talk about On This Day. Normally we do On This Day in Politics, 
I was having a look through and there was very little, I guess the best one I could find was in 2019 when Angela Merkel told Boris Johnson he had 30 days to come up with a deal to avoid a no deal Brexit. Uh, so that's on the stage in politics. On the stage, just in general, in, uh, general interest, the Mona Lisa was stolen in 1911. So that ends the episode. Uh, thank you for listening. And until next time, Goodbye.